Uh, you can have a seat. Uh, many times messages that uh, we hear in life are quickly forgotten. I don't know about you, but it, it seems like I, I've heard many messages over the years, and uh, it seems rare that I actually remember uh, what I heard. Some of that is probably the fault of the communicator, uh, me, in this particular case. Uh, some of it could uh, just be that we don't have great memories. Uh, sometimes maybe it's a season in life, but oftentimes the words that we hear uh, are quickly uh, forgotten, sometimes by lunch, uh, sometimes by dinner. Uh, but, but occasionally we, we seem to hear a message that sticks with us uh, for one reason or another. Sometimes we hear uh, words, maybe it's our, our season in life that we hear them, maybe it's the time that we hear them, but for one reason uh, or another we hold on to them. We remember the words that uh, were spoken. About a year ago, I heard a message by a gentleman by the name of Jonah Linbaugh. He's a professor at Knox Theological Seminary in Florida, and I haven't been able to forget it. It's been almost a year now, and it seems like the Lord continues to, to bring it back to mind. I simply say all that because this morning our topic is something that, that he talked about in this message. And so if you hear anything worthwhile, it's probably because I got it from him. Uh, and if you hear anything that's not, it's probably because it came from me. Uh, but I just want to make sure that I give credit where uh, credit is due. So uh, why don't I pray for us, uh, and then we'll dive in together. God, thanks so much for uh, your grace and for uh, your mercy uh, that you've shown to us through your Son. Thank you so much for uh, your love, Lord. I pray that, uh, that the words that we sang this morning would be true of us, that, uh, that we would be amazed uh, by uh, your love. Lord, oftentimes that... That, that message that are found in those words and in those songs become familiar to us. It seems like we've heard it many times before. We've spoken uh, the words, I love you, time and time again uh, in our life. And there are times when uh, words that are familiar to us seem to, to lose uh, the significance of their meaning. And so this morning I pray that uh, that, that would not be the case. I pray primarily uh, for myself that that would not be the case uh, in my life, that I would not look at your, uh, your love for me or for us, for your children, as something that is, uh, is commonplace or familiar or unspectacular. But instead, I pray that it, it truly would be uh, amazing for us uh, this morning. And so I ask now, Lord, that your Holy Spirit might uh, be our teacher and our guide. Lord, I pray for, uh, for those of us that, that come maybe with heavy hearts or uh, with, with tired legs, Lord, that you might embolden us through the power of your Holy Spirit. I pray that you would uh, open our ears so that we might hear. I pray that you would soften our hearts so that we might receive uh, your word together. Uh, God, we love you this morning. We thank you so much for loving us first. And we pray these things uh, in Jesus' name and by your Spirit. Amen. I heard a song a couple years ago from uh, everyone's second favorite American Idol, Kelly Clarkson. You, you know Kelly Clarkson? Who is everyone's favorite American Idol? Do you have a favorite? Anyone? Ruben Studdard? What? Carrie Underwood. Gosh, man. She's always number one. She drives me nuts. But yes, you know, she's, she's popular. You know, she's, she's well-liked in the country crowd. But Kelly Clarkson really kicked off the whole thing. I don't know how many years ago it was, 12 or 13 years ago. In 2012, just two short years ago, uh, she had uh, an album that, uh, that had a song that went to number one uh, on the charts. Does anyone know what the song was? Stronger? It may have. I don't know a lot about music, but that's not the one I'm thinking of. <laughs> Mister, don't be afraid. I mean, I'll tell you you're wrong, but just shout it out. 
No, Mr. Know-it-all. Oh, yeah. You guys like that one, eh? No, Mr. Know-it-all. It's a, it's a great song. It's a song about a, you know, a woman who, who clearly has been wronged by a man who, who thought that... I see some head bobbing over there. They know the song. That's right. She, she was wronged by a man who, who thought that he knew her when, she, when he really didn't know her. Right? And so she sings a lot. I want to I read some of the lyrics to you this morning. I'll spare you. I won't sing it. It's kind of a catchy tune, though. Mr. Know-it-all, well, you think you know it all, but you don't know a thing at all. Uh, ain't it, ain't it something, y'all, when somebody tells you something about you, think that they know you more than they do, so you take it down, another pill to swallow. Uh, oh, you think that you know me, know me, that's why I'm leaving you lonely, lonely. That's sad. Because, baby, you don't know a thing about me, right? You don't know a thing about me. And it's kind of a, a catchy tune. I think all of us, probably at, at one point in our lives, could, could probably feel that, uh, that someone who thought they knew us uh, really didn't know us. And because they thought they knew us and, and really didn't know us, uh, we felt uh, in some way uh, rejected by them. It's, it's a great fear that uh, probably on some level all of us have. Uh, I don't know about you, but I've, I've certainly felt that before. As you, as you read these lyrics and hear this song, you can almost picture Kelly Clarkson with, you know, with her, her shoulders pushed back and her eyebrows raised, doing her best, like, you don't know me impression. You know, have you, have you ever felt that way before? Have you ever had an experience where you've wanted to tell someone, you don't know me? You're making judgments about who I am, and, and you don't even know who I am. I think all of us on some level have a fear uh, that we will be misunderstood, uh, and because we are misunderstood, uh, we will not be loved. But I think all of us uh, probably have a greater fear than that this morning. See, I don't believe that our greatest fear is that we'll be misunderstood and as a result, not loved. I think our greatest fear is that we'll actually be known and we won't be loved. I think it is universally true of of all people on some level uh, that we fear that someone might actually uh, know us, know everything uh, about us. And when they know us, uh, they will not love us. And so we spend much of our lives uh, trying to be uh, something or someone uh, we, or not, we are not, or we try to conceal uh, who we are. Uh, if you think about it for a moment, this can be seen in the relationships uh, that we have with one another. It can be uh, seen in romantic relationships. When you begin dating someone, you go out of your way uh, to always put your best foot forward. Right? You, you want to make sure that you don't mess anything up, and so you're always on time. Right? You always eat like a bird when you're out on your first date, uh, and you don't do anything that would embarrass you. Even though, uh, if truth uh, be told, uh, more than likely, you're, you're never on time to anything. Right? You hate salads. You really love ribs. Uh, and there's a, a lot about you that actually is quite embarrassing. Uh, and yet you conceal that information from other people because you think to yourself, if people knew me, uh, then they wouldn't really love me. Uh, not only do we do that in, in romantic relationships, but we do that uh, in our friendships as well. When you think about it, when we're uh, trying to get to know someone or we're building a friendship, more often than not, we go out of our way to put our best foot forward uh, so people will see our fine qualities uh, and we try to hold back or hide uh, the things that would uh, paint us in a poor light. I think on some level, all of us have probably been guilty of that before. 
Uh, Not only can that desire of of hiding your true identity uh, be seen in romantic relationships or friendships that we have uh, with one another, it can be uh, seen in our work as well. How many times have you been to a job interview and sat across from the HR director uh, and they've asked you, you know, hey, I I see a lot of your strengths here on your resume. Why don't you tell us uh, what are some of your greatest weaknesses? And what are some of the things that you struggle with? And how do you answer that question? You know, typically people answer that question not by being open and honest about what really are their weaknesses, but uh, they, they, they couch uh, their weaknesses by making them strengths. You know, so what's your greatest weakness? Like, I'm an overachiever, right? Like, I always want to do a great job. I'm a perfectionist, right? Like, I, I, I always pour my life uh, into my work. I'm always looking uh, for ways to make the company more money or save the company money. And sometimes, I mean, it's just hard to live like that. Well, those, those aren't weaknesses, right? We, we pretend that they are, but we twist them in such a way that they come across as actual strengths. You know, nobody says when they're asked that question, well, I'm, I'm absent-minded, you know, I'm distracted. Typically, I don't finish things. I'm a procrastinator. You don't say that, right? Because you don't get hired, right? So you want to you paint yourself in a positive light. You want to pretend uh, in many ways to be something uh, that you are not. We do this in relationships. We do it uh, at work. We even do it in school. I remember as a student uh, in high school and college, I remember what it was like to sit next to my friends and wait for that test uh, to be returned. I remember what it was like sitting in my seat waiting for for that big paper that I handed in uh, to be returned because everyone wanted to see the grade that they were going to receive. But it was so funny listening to people as they waited to get their tests back because they they would always kind of preface that by saying, you know what, man, how did you do? I don't think I did really well. You know, I I didn't have a lot of time to study. You know, I kind of turned the paper in last minute. You know, I pulled an all-nighter. And the reason that we say that, the reason that we say those kinds of things is because when we get our test back or when we get our paper back, if we've gotten a poor grade, uh, we don't want it to reflect poorly on us, right? So we, so we kind of set the bar low. We, we don't want anyone to know that, that, truth be told, we really are a C student or uh, we really are a B student, right? We go out of our way in many ways, in many areas of life, to conceal our true identity, who uh, we really are. And so we spend uh, many of our days trying to pretend uh, that we are something we are not or trying to conceal uh, the person that we truly are. And why do we do this? Why do we go out of our way uh, to do that? I think we go out of our way to do that because at our core, uh, we tell ourselves if people really knew us, the, the real us, uh, then they wouldn't love us. And so we spend a whole lot of time, uh, energy, and effort uh, pretending to be uh, something we are not. And if you've ever seen uh, the movie uh, The Phantom of the Opera before or gone uh, to see the play, but I think that's a great picture uh, of this truth. You know, The Phantom of the Opera is a story about the phantom. He's a, he's a musical genius uh, who has a face for radio. Right, and he falls in love with a woman. Right, he falls in love to Christine. Uh, and he comes to Christine at night and he sings to her. He wants Christine to see him at his very best. And he at his very best is, uh, is when he is showing off his incredible uh, and beautiful voice. 
But the Phantom of the Opera carries with him a deep fear. And his fear is that if he, if he really were known, if his face were to be exposed to Christine, then Christine really wouldn't love him. So there's this scene in, in the show, in the movie, a song, Masquerade. Masquerade, paper faces on parade. A masquerade, hide your face so the world will never find you. A masquerade, every face a different shade. Masquerade, look around, uh, there's another mask behind you. I feel like that's not only a song for uh, Broadway, that's a song uh, that, that we can be guilty of singing all the time. You know, masquerade, you know, put on uh, your face, hide your face uh, so the world will never find you. But what happens uh, in the Phantom of the Opera is there is a time uh, when he reveals himself uh, to Christine, when he tells uh, Christine that he loves her. Right? He exposes his heart uh, to her. He shows himself. He reveals himself. And his greatest fear uh, comes true. Uh, he is known uh, and he is not loved. Uh, he is uh, rejected. And even though the Phantom in the Phantom of the Opera is not necessarily a character that we, uh, that maybe we feel sorry for it. In that moment, I feel like he is experiencing a something that we fear on so many levels on a daily basis. His fear is our great fear. So we go through life hiding our faces, trying to be someone we are not. I remember as a kid, oftentimes I would hear my mother or hear other ladies say, I'm sorry you caught me looking like this. I haven't had a chance to put on my face. Right? Have you ever heard that? My mom would, would say that before she had a chance to put on her makeup uh, in the morning. But, but I wonder if, if that picture uh, isn't true of us. We, we love uh, to put on a face. We love uh, to portray a particular image of ourselves uh, that may or may not be true or accurate. And there are times in life when we're pretty effective. You know, there, there are times in life when, uh, when we fool people. Uh, sometimes we fool the people that, that know us uh, and supposedly love us the best. Sometimes we fool our, our friends or our family. Sometimes we fool our co-workers. Sometimes we fool uh, those around us. But there uh, is someone uh, that we cannot fool. Uh, there is someone who knows us at our core and knows everything about us. He knows what we think and what we feel. Uh, He knows when we're apathetic uh, toward those around us. He knows the things that we think that we don't want to tell anyone about. Uh, He knows the secrets that we carry around with us that we haven't shared uh, with anyone else. There is someone uh, that knows us. Scripture teaches us that uh, the God of the universe, the God that made us, the God that formed us and shaped us, uh, knows us better uh, than anyone ever has or anyone ever will. Uh, the psalmist writes of God's knowledge of us in Psalm 139. And so if you have your Bibles, uh, turn with me there to Psalm 139. If you don't have uh, your Bibles with you this morning, the words uh, will be on the screen. Psalm 139, verse 1 says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know, when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. 
Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, uh, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. Right? So, so the psalmist paints this picture of a God who knows everything about him. He, he can't flee from the presence of the Lord. Even if he wanted to hide, even if he wanted uh, to pull back and just have some quiet time and be by himself, he's saying wherever he goes, the Lord is there. Right? The Lord formed him and knows him. He knows everything about him. And God knows everything about you, and he knows everything about me. Right? And that news, the news that God uh, fully knows us, could potentially be very terrifying uh, to us. Right? Because all of us, without exception, uh, have, have things that we'd rather have others not know. Right? All of us, without exception, have, have things in our life that we would like to keep behind the shelf. Right? We, don't, we don't want to advertise them. We don't want it to become public knowledge, and so we keep it uh, close to the vest. We, we put on a face, uh, a mask to hide behind where other people cannot find us or see us uh, for who we truly are. Uh, but God does. Right? He sees us, and he knows everything about us. And, th- and that could potentially be terrifying news. Uh, but what is amazing in Scripture, what is amazing is that while we are fully known by God, God's children are also fully loved. Okay, we are fully known. Everything about us, God knows. And he loves us still. Author Brennan Manning said, We should be astonished at the goodness of God, a stunned that he should bother to call us by name, our mouths wide open at his love, bewildered that at the very moment we are sta- at this very moment, we are standing on holy ground. God knows us uh, and he loves us. He knows us uh, and he loves us. And this is very good news. This is the, the universal truth that, that just about everyone would, would agree to. Uh, many people look at other attributes of God and, and don't necessarily recognize uh, them. People don't oftentimes talk a whole lot about God's justice or God's God's wrath or God's sovereignty. There are other things about God that are true, but certainly this is true of him as well, that, that God uh, is love, right? that God is love, and he loves uh, his children. And so I just want to point out real quickly uh, three ways that God loves his children, three ways that God loves uh, his children. God's love is first and foremost seen uh, in the adoption of uh, his children unto himself. Look at Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, verse 5. Look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5. Ephesians 1, verse 5 says, In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. In love he predestined us for adoption. This is the great love that uh, scripture talks about that he has uh, for his children. This is, this is a unique 
a love. It's a special love that God has uh, for his kids. It's, it's a love that we receive not because of anything that uh, we've done or said or anything that we could do. It's a love that's received independently of what we bring uh, to the table. It's a love that God has reached down and bestowed upon uh, his kids. It's a, it's a love that God initiates, and it's, it's not given based on our good behavior. It's not given uh, because we work for it or uh, we earn it. It's it's given simply by uh, the grace of God, right? He he just extends this love to us. And this is a radical love because when you think about the love that we give and the love that we receive almost on a daily basis, it's it's given or it's received uh, based on effort. You know, it's something that that we do, right? Have you ever uh, heard uh, the the advice, uh, uh, win the girl? Right? Do everything that you can to win her affection. You know, I, I won Melissa. Right? She, she, is, she is now mine. I, I won her affection. I won her over. Okay, but, but that implies that, that the reason that she loves me is because I did enough. Uh, I, I did enough. I worked enough. I tried hard enough. I uh, reached out to her enough. I extended myself to her enough that, that in return, uh, she now loves me back. Right? I, I loved her, and then I loved her well enough for her to return the favor. But God's love isn't like that. God's love uh, doesn't work like that. Uh, God's love isn't given or extended uh, based on our good behavior or what we bring to the plate. We don't, we don't perform for God in order to earn uh, God's love or his affection. This is what Ephesians chapter 1, uh, verse 5 uh, teaches us and tells us. Uh, we're not trying to win God's favor or his love. When, when we try to earn his love or his favor, that's akin to legalism, right? If I do enough good things, God will look upon me with favor and grant to me his love. Tully and Chavidjan, a pastor in Florida, says that God, uh, th- this idea, uh, legalism, says that God's love, that God will love us if we change. The gospel says God will change us because he loves us, right? Legalism says God will love us if we change, the gospel says God, uh, God will change us because he loves us. And it's a monumental difference in those two. You know, one says, if I'm, if I'm good enough, I earn God's favor. I earn God's love. I, I receive God's love. And the other says, no, no, no. Because God loves you, uh, he will change you and you uh, will love him. So one of the ways that we see uh, God's love for us in Scripture is his sovereign uh, choice to, to choose his children for himself. God, God loves his kids. Another way that we see God's love uh, in Scripture is in his, in his choice to send uh, his son to the cross uh, for sinners. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. I want to uh, read verses 6 through 8 uh, this morning. Romans chapter 5, uh, verses 6 through 8. Romans chapter 5, verse 6 says, For while we were still weak, uh, at the right time God died for the ungodly. Uh, For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even die. Verse 8, But God shows his love for us in that while we were sinners, uh, Christ died for us. While we were sinners, uh, Christ died for us. Uh, At our very worst, uh, God gave to us his best. Right? At our very worst, God gave to us uh, his best. And his best was uh, his son. 
Right? And, the, and the depth of the Son's love for us is the sacrifice of His Son on the cross. That is why Jesus uh, came to this earth. He lived uh, and He died to bring us uh, to God. It's the ultimate display uh, of love. Certainly, uh, as a people of God, we learn a lot from uh, the life of Christ. Like, like we can look at Jesus' life and there's things that we see in how He lived uh, that, that we learn from and we want to emulate. We, 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 we see a pattern uh, that he set for us. And it's our desire uh, to, to walk in his footsteps, right? So his, the, the dust of his sandals will come up upon our feet, right? We're, we're called to walk closely with the Lord. But, but Christ was not primarily sent uh, to this earth just for us to look at a good moral example. Right? Christ wasn't primarily sent to this earth so we could look at his life and aspire to be like him. Right? If that's the only message that Jesus brought, that's not good news for you and it's not good news for me. Right? If we go around and, and just only say to people, follow his example or be like Jesus, and we end the message there, that's not good news because Jesus was perfect and we're not. And and so when when we constantly say, hey, the the bar's up here, keep keep trying, keep trying, eventually you'll get there. No, no, you won't. People did not wait for thousands of years for a good moral example to follow. That was was not the hope of the world. People waited for for thousands of years for a savior. Someone to come save us from the penalty of our sins, from the wrath of God. So one of the ways that Scripture displays the love of Christ is in sending Christ to die for us. It's the ultimate uh, display of God's love. Are you, are you ever just blown away by that? I, mean, I, I can't tell you how many times in life that, that message becomes familiar to me. Like I, I've just heard it a hundred times and I think, yep, I mean, it's, it's true and it's biblical and you, you throw out a couple verses and... And God sent his son Jesus to, to live a perfect life and to die on the cross. And that shows God's love. But, but like, think about that for a second. Right? The, the God of the universe sent his son whom he loved with a perfect love. Like to, to die for, for us, to die for his children. Right? And, and it wasn't because there was anything lovely in us. It wasn't because there was anything that, that we brought to the table. Right? God, God looked at us in our very worst and sent to us his very uh, best. And that is, is very good news. Because right? it's not as if we, we functioned in a state of awesomeness. Right? And then God's extended his love to us. Scripture teaches us just the opposite. Uh, Jeremiah seventeen nine: The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? So so at our worst, when we were functioning at our worst, God sent his best. He he loved us by sending his son for us. He loved us enough by calling us away from our idols and from empty worship. He loved us enough by calling us to repentance. He loved us enough by offering to us joy that is only found in him. He loved us enough by pulling us away from lesser things that never satisfy, and drawing our hearts and our eyes, our attention uh, to him. That is the the radical love that he has loved us with. And it can be seen uh, very practically and very powerfully uh, in in the death of his son. God's love 
uh, can be seen in the sacrifice of Christ. God's love can also be seen uh, in the spiritual life uh, that he offers to us and the hope uh, that we have in death. Ephesians chapter 2, turn there with me for a second. I don't have this passage uh, on the screen, but Ephesians chapter 2 kind of paints this picture of our spiritual state uh, apart from uh, the Lord and, and talks about a radical work uh, that God has done for us. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we also once lived uh, in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So that's our, that's our state apart from Christ. We're, we're spiritually dead. Right? There, there's, there, there's no spiritual life in us. I remember when I was in college, I had a professor uh, say, James, I want you to come up front for a second, and I want you to uh, to share the gospel with someone for me. He, we're gonna, we were going to role play. And so I was like, oh, this is fantastic. Like, I'm, I'm ready and I'm thinking just logically about what all my arguments are going to be. And, uh, and he calls someone else and he had, a, he had a table up front and he said, I want you, I want, I want you to, to lay on the table. He said this to the other person. I want you to lay on the table on your back and, and I want you to fold your arms like this. And he said, okay, now you, you are dead. And then he said, now, now James, I want, you to, I want you to share the gospel with him. I said, uh, you know, good morning, <laughs> dead person. I mean, that's our spiritual condition apart from Christ. Right? So, so, so the gospel is, is God's spirit quickening our hearts, right? And giving us spiritual eyes, breathing life into us like breathing life into our, our dead spiritual bodies and opening our eyes. This is what Paul is talking about in Ephesians. Verse 4 says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. So it's, it's a gift. He takes people who are spiritually dead and he, and he breathes life into them. And, and we uh, receive the benefits of what Christ has done for us. Like we receive the spiritual benefits of having new life with God. Right? So God demonstrates his love for us in giving us life and giving us a hope in death. First uh, John chapter 3 verse 1 says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. Right? I mean, isn't that a good word? See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. We, ha- we haven't seen clearly uh, quite who he is yet, but one day we will see him face to face. That's the hope that we have as God's people. I told you the story before many years ago. I was, uh, I was back in Michigan, and I was uh, visiting for the summer. And my, my grandmother at the time was living um, a few miles from my parents, and she had come over for lunch, and uh, we, had, we had a great time with her. I was walking her out to her car. Uh, she, was, she was out, out front, and, and uh, you know, she, was, she was holding my, my arm, and I was walking out. And I, and I said, Grandma, how, you know, how are you doing? Like, how are you doing? And she stopped. I mean, she's 80 at the time. She's probably 86 years old. 
just kind of shuffling her feet, you know, and she, she stops when we get to the sidewalk right after I ask that question. She looks up at me, and uh, she, said, she said, James, I'm not what I once was, but I'm not yet what I will be. Right? I mean, I'm like, who says, who talks like that? Right? I'm like, like, how do you think of that? Right? Well, like, someone who is anticipating seeing Christ face to face, they, they think like that. Like, that is their hope. Like, I cannot wait to see him face to face. Like, have, have you lived enough life yet? I'm saying this as a young man, but, like, have you lived enough life yet to go, you know what, man, I long for that. And do you ever experience sickness in your life and go, man, I long for the day when that will no longer be? Right? Did you ever wrestle with sin in your life and get so sick and fed up with your wrestling that you go, man, I long for the day when I will not wrestle with that anymore? Like, is there ever this part of you that, man, you, like, you taste the good things of the world and eventually they just kind of lose their appeal to you and you say, man, I, I don't want that. Like, I want something more. I long to see Jesus face to face. Yesterday, uh, my oldest son, Cadman, got sick in the morning. It was like 9 o'clock in the morning and he, he goes, oh, I don't, feel, I don't feel good. And I'm like, he probably just wants to play a video game or something and make me feel bad for him. But, but like 10 minutes after that, he... he Threw up, you know, and so I kind of felt bad, and I'm like, Cameron, I'm so sorry you're not feeling well, and I go, I guess you're not playing soccer today, and he's like, no, I don't want to play soccer, and so I'm like, okay, so two hours later, he took a nap, and he wakes up, and he's like, dad, I want to play soccer, and I'm like, no, I'm like, buddy, you're not feeling well, he's like, no, I want to play, I'm like, it's too late, I already called the coach, and he's like, okay, 20 minutes later, he threw up again. Right? And he's like, oh, I'm not feeling good. So Melissa went upstairs. He was, he was uh, in our room, hanging out in our room. And uh, she went upstairs and she said, Cade, man how, man, how are you feeling? And he goes, Mom, I do not like being sick. I want to go to heaven. <laughs> like, part of me thinks, man, I, I love that. I, I love the fact that somewhere in his mind or in his heart, he's going, all right, I want to be, be free from sickness. I want to experience heaven. And then part of me is like, you, you got like a 24-hour bug, you know? Like, <laughs> this is probably not the end, you know? Like, it's going to get worse, right? Like, remember that one time I had the common cold and I so wanted to be with Jesus. I'm like, it doesn't get easier, buddy. But like, like I just, like I heard that and I just thought, man, like, man, I, I hope, that that is so appealing to us as God's people that, that the stuff that consumes us fades away. Like, I, I hope if, if the Lord allows us to, to be thinking about that or to have the, the end in mind, to, to have that, that date to receive that diagnosis, I, I mean, I hope there's this part of us that goes, man, I, I long for that. Not, not that it's easy or it's fun, but I hope there's that part in our soul that goes, man, I can hardly wait. I mean, to see Jesus face to face. There are times in my life when I, when I long for that. I mean, there's, there's times, even relationally. I, I mean, Melissa and I, we're going through two becoming one with, with Don and Sally, and I'm studying this stuff uh, in, in Scripture. And, and in a lot of it, I've heard a million times before, but God's just revealing stuff in my heart like, 
And like sin that I have and selfishness that I have and, and pride that I have and jealousy. And it's ugly. And there's this part of me that goes, man, I don't want that anymore. And I don't, I don't want that anymore. And so, I, I mean, I wonder, as, as a people of God, like, is there ever this sense in us that goes, God, I want to be with Christ. I want to be with Christ. God, I long to see you. Like God demonstrates uh, his love for us by giving us a hope for the future, right? He gives us life today, and he gives us a hope for the future. And I hope as his people, we, we, we long for that. I hope it's something that we're looking forward to. Why, why, does, why does God love us? Did you ever ask that question? I mean, why? If, if we're uh, in, in and of ourselves, if we're not all that lovely, right? If, if we don't just exude awesomeness on a daily basis, why does God look at us at our worst and give to us uh, his best. Why does he love us? Ephesians 1, verse 5. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Verse 6. To the praise of his glorious grace which he has blessed us uh, in the uh, beloved. Uh, God, God's love uh, does not uh, begin with God and end with us. It is a good thing to be loved by God. It's a good thing to be loved by God. But, but we are not the end game in God's love. Right? The, the end game in God's love for us is God. Right? God loves us in such a, a radical and powerful way that God is the one that receives the glory. Right? So we, we look at ourselves and we're blown away and we say, God, at my very worst, when I have nothing to offer, when I don't bring anything to the table, in those moments, God loves us. And that is good news for us. Because God wants to love us in such a way that he gives to us something that is all satisfying. And if we constantly look to ourselves, that is not satisfying. What is satisfying is God. Right? So he loves us in such a powerful and radical way that he is glorified in the love that he shows to us. And so our attention is not turned inward to ourselves. We don't walk around and pat ourselves on the back and go, I actually am a lot better than I thought I was. God, God loves me. I am the best. No, no, no. We receive the love of God and our attention is focused back on God. This is the way that God loves us. It's a, it's a radical love that does not end with us, but it ends with God. So what does this look like? Like, if we know that, if we hear that as God's people, how does that play out in our lives? If we are fully known and fully loved, what does it look like on the ground level? How do we function? How do we live as God's people? Well, knowing that we are loved by God means that we allow others, uh, that we allow others to, uh, or that we allow ourselves to be known by others. Right? Knowing that, that we are loved by God allows us to be known and loved by others. Like, we don't, we don't have to navigate our way uh, through life, like, hiding the truth or twisting the truth or concealing the truth about ourselves. Because we, we, don't, we don't have to hide. Because God already knows us. Uh, and he loves us. So we don't have to spend life trying to win the affection of other people. Like how, many, how many times have you gone through life thinking to yourself, man, I just, man, I, I love 
I love to know that other people love me, and I love to know that other people approve of me, and other people are pleased with me. We, we love hearing that, and we, we welcome it so much so that there are times when we don't receive it, and we are crushed. But knowing God loves us, knowing that we've received everything that we could possibly receive from a God who knows us and loves us, allows us to be free to be known so we don't have to hide the truth anymore. I was thinking about how this plays out in my life. And I debated whether or not I should share this because I don't want to give up my secrets. But I'm going to, just in a, in a moment of confession, I'm going to say this. And I, this is not something I'm proud of, but th- there are moments in life where I see this playing out in my life, this idea of being known, where there's this part of me that, that just doesn't. Like, I don't, I don't want to be known. And, and, and there, there are times when... when um, there are times when I kind of pull back the curtains and, and allow other people in. But there are, there are times in, in small ways where I try to conceal my true identity. And I was thinking about this uh, this last week. There have been times when I've had conversations with people. I saw this especially uh, when, I was, uh, when I was in seminary, especially. You're in, in kind of this, this academic environment, and it's real intense. Right? And what is celebrated many times is the mind. Right? If, you're, if you're sharper than the person sitting next to you, then you're, then you're recognized and you receive approval and, and love and, and affection from others. And there, there were times when I've had conversations with people and they would, they would mention something that I hadn't heard about or I didn't know, but, but I would play it off like I did. So someone says like, oh, Nahum 4, man. I was reading Nahum 4 the other day. You know Nahum 4. And I was like, yeah, man, yeah even though there isn't a name for it. I think it just has three chapters. But I'd play along, and I'd go like, yeah, when, when, I, when really I had no earthly idea. Right? Because there, there's this part of me that was so prideful and is so prideful that I don't want to go, I don't know. I mean, just speaking those words, just admitting, hey, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. Instead, I, I get creative and I go, oh, you know, I don't, I don't remember that. I mean, because I knew, at one time I knew it, but I've forgotten. So now I, I don't remember. Or I say, can you refresh my memory? Because certainly it's something that I, that I should know, but maybe I don't. Okay, now, now you think to yourself, well, that, I mean, I mean, all of us have kind of maybe played that game before on some level. Why do we, why do, we do that? Like, why, why is there this part of me that, that can't say, I don't know? Will you teach me? Because there's this part of me that, that thinks, man, if they, if they find my intellectual ceiling, man, all bets are off. I'm fully known. And if I'm known, I won't be loved. So I wonder, do you, I mean, do you, do you let other people know you? Do people know you? I'm not, I'm not saying people know your name or know your favorite team. I'm saying, do people know you? We have to be wise about this. You know, we don't have you know, 10 minutes kind of built into the service where it's like, find a stranger, tell them your greatest sin. Hit the music. We don't, like we, we don't do that. Right? That, that's not wise. But are, are there relationships that you have 
uh, with, with other women in the church? Men, are there other relationships that you have with, with other dudes where you, can, where you can be known? If, if, we, if we understand and we grasp the love of God, I think we allow ourselves uh, to be known. Uh, secondly, knowing we are loved by God allows us to practice confession in the context of a safe and loving and confidential uh, community. Do you, do you practice confession? Are, are, there, are there other people, men, are there, are there other men in your life where you can call them, you can sit across from them, and you can say, this is what I'm wrestling with. This is what I'm struggling with. This is the battle that I'm facing right now. Or, or, or this is what I've done, this is what I've said, or this is what I, I'm thinking. Would you, would you pray for me? Would, would you help me? Would you come alongside of me? Women, are, are there other women in your life where you can come alongside of them and you can say, this is what I'm wrestling, this is what I'm thinking about during the day, right? In my, in my free time, these are the things that are coming into my head and into my heart. Are there other people that you can call and say, will, will you pray for me? Right? If, we, if we grasp the love of God, then, then we're, we're free to confess our sins because, because we don't have to impress anyone anymore. Like, I don't have to sit across from the table from someone and go, man, if he knows this, if I say this, then all bets are off. Right? If, we, if we know and experience the love of God, then we can, we can throw out our, our, our stuff and we can say, hey, this is who I am. God fully knows me and he fully loves me. And so I, I am free free to let other people know who I am, let other people know who I am, uh, what I'm struggling with. <clears throat> I, I, t- I told a, a friend one time uh, many years ago, he was man, wrestling through some, uh, some junk, and he was like, man, I, I, need to, I need to come clean, and I need to confess, and we, we talked about what that, that looked like, and I, and I said to him, um, I said, I want you to know that, that you may lose your reputation by, by coming clean. But your hope was never in your reputation. So when we have a culture of confession in our church, there may be times when we lose our reputation. But our hope is the people of God is not in our reputation. Right? It's in the righteousness of Christ. So we need, we need to be free uh, to confess. Lastly, knowing that we are loved by God frees us to love others with the power God's Spirit uh, provides. Right? Knowing we're loved by God uh, frees us to love others and uh, the power that God's Spirit uh, provides. Uh, as, as a people, we're called to love one another and oftentimes we're, we're called to love uh, difficult people. You know, we're, we're called not just to love the lovable, but to love the unlovable. Uh, to love the people that don't have a lot that they bring to the table. To, to love uh, people who, who may be natural takers and not natural givers. You know, to, to love people that aren't always the ones who are celebrated and, and well thought of and, and adored by society. Uh, we're, we're called to love those people. And the way that we can love those people is God has freed us uh, to love them by the power of his Holy Spirit. Romans chapter, uh, chapter 5, verse 5 
uh, says, And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts uh, through the Holy Spirit who he has given to us. And so uh, knowing and understanding God's love for us frees us uh, to love one another. So I, I pray that I pray that this would mark us uh, as, as a people of God. I pray that this would mark us uh, as a community. I pray that we would live lives that are, that are known by others, that we would live lives of confession, that we'd freely um, share uh, what we're wrestling with and what we're struggling with with people who know us and love us. And I pray that we would be a community uh, that is marked uh, by love for one another. Um, and that, that's hard to do. Right? It's, it's hard to do. So let's pray and, uh, and ask for God's help. Father God, uh, thank you for uh, the love that you have poured into our hearts uh, through your Holy Spirit. Uh, Lord, thank you that at our very worst, uh, you gave to us your best. Lord, thank you that, that you have given uh, to your, your children a, a unique and, and a special uh, love, Lord, that, that you saw us in our, our deepest need and you met that need in Christ. Lord, thank you so much for, uh, for loving us. Thank you so much for your pursuit of us, for your faithful and steadfast love. Thank you that your love is not temperamental, uh, that, it, that it doesn't wane, that it doesn't come and go uh, with time. Lord, I, I pray for us as a community. Lord, I pray uh, for myself that I would practice what I preach. Lord, I pray that, um, that I would be free to be known, that I would uh, allow myself to be known by others, that I would practice confession uh, in my life, that I would not be so wrapped up or concerned with my own reputation that I wouldn't be willing to risk it for the sake of yours. And Lord, I pray that uh, you would help us to, uh, to love others in this church. I pray that you would help us to love the unlovable, to love those uh, on the margin, uh, to love those who are uh, forgotten. Lord, we need your help to do that, and so we ask for it this morning. God, we love you, uh, and we pray these things in Jesus' name and by your spirit. Amen.